Canadian officials confirmed on Thursday the country will donate battle tanks to Ukraine, as well as send along Canadian Armed Forces trainers with those tanks. Minister of National Defense Anita Anand announced Canada will fulfill Ukraine's request for Leopard 2 tanks, donating four tanks to Ukraine as part of their ongoing military assistance. Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation has released this year's annual rental market report and notes that in part, migration continues to drive higher demand for rental space. And Canada joined two climate coalitions just last week, but an economist says, well, one of them will at least definitely raise prices for consumers. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith is proposing a sustainable jobs alternative to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Just Transition proposal. Hello Canada, it's Friday, January 27th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. I'm Cosman Georgia. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. A day after the United States and Germany each announced that they would be sending tanks to Ukraine, Canadian officials confirmed that they will donate battle tanks to Ukraine, as well as send Canadian armed forces to train Ukrainian soldiers in the use of those tanks. On Thursday, Minister of National Defense Anita Anand said Canada is going to fulfill Ukraine's request for Leopard 2 tanks, donating four of them. Anand said the government decided on four tanks after careful consideration around not depleting Canada's own military reserves. However, it may not be the last time Canada makes that consideration, as Anand confirmed Canada may send more tanks to Ukraine in the future. Cosman, it's interesting to see this development because there are a lot of people out there who want Canada to do more and more. We know that there was a push originally to create a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which would have effectively seen Canada and Western allies almost go to war with Russia in the skies. And then there are others who say, hold on a second, we are concerned that we are sending uh, too many resources, too much money. Right. Well, we have to look at the international level, right? Canada historically is a middle power, uh, and we've used our soft power most of the time to to uh, get involved in these sorts of conflicts. But when you actually look at uh, military contribution by GDP, Canada is up there with major NATO countries. We're act- In fact, we're actually slightly ahead of the U.S. when it comes to this metric. Uh, Canada has contributed 0.23% of its GDP to the Ukrainian war effort, which amounts to about uh, $4.1 billion. Of course, the U.S. has contributed the bulk share uh, in just in terms of net worth, uh, coming in at $52 billion. But as a larger economy, uh, that's only uh, 0.229% of its GDP. So there's just a, a little bit of an advantage there for Canada. So... And, but also, like the the when you break down uh, what is being contributed, obviously the U.S. has much larger military; they have more equipment, so they're putting in a lot more um, money into delivering uh, that equipment to Ukraine. Whereas Canada's commitments have been more financial in terms of loans and and other uh, relief packages. So uh, I do think Canada, uh, on the whole, has uh, stepped up to the plate on this. Uh, whether more can be done, well, in terms of financial commitments, I think I think we've done quite a bit. Uh, is there wiggle room in the military sphere? 
Well, that remains to be seen because, as you know, uh, our own troops uh, face problems in that regard. Another aspect I find very interesting is a lot of the public attention and media attention has been on the sending of the tanks, but sending those Canadian Armed Forces trainers along with those tanks, that's effectively sending boots on the ground who could conceivably be involved in combat. I very vividly remember the debate back almost a decade ago when the Stephen Harper government decided to send in advise and assist officers, training personnel to help in the battle against ISIS, to help the Iraqi forces in that battle. And there was a lot of grilling in the House of Commons as to whether or not we were essentially getting involved in a ground game. And questions were asked, okay, if they are fired upon, do they have the right? Are they authorized to to fire back? And the answer was yes. And he said, okay, you're going to be in a firefight, which means you're basically on the ground engaged in war. I think a similar thing happens here. So it's quite something that people aren't more concerned about. Okay, we got Canadian soldiers on the ground potentially going to war with Russia. The Liberal government wants to welcome 500,000 new immigrants to Canada annually by 2025. And a new Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation report shows that migration will continue to drive higher demand for rental space as Canadians struggle with high rent and finding housing. Economists with the CMHC blame growth and demand outpacing housing supply driven by, quote, significantly higher net migration. In 2022, Canada's vacancy rate fell to an over 20-year low. CMHC economists wrote, Growth in rental demand across the country reflected significantly higher net migration as flows continued to benefit from relaxed COVID-related travel restrictions. A recent Leger poll showed that excessive strain on Canada's housing availability and healthcare system are on top of mind for Canadians when it comes to high immigration numbers. The survey found that 49% of Canadians said that Ottawa's plan was too ambitious at the present time. So, Anthony, when it comes to not only housing supply, but also the strain on the healthcare system, should Canadians have some questions about the uh, immigration targets the government has come out with uh, in recent years? Yeah, they should. And to your point, the Leger poll is already showing they have those concerns. I think having honest conversations about uh, the effects of immigration on the system are becoming less of a third rail. It was previously thought if you wanted to criticize immigration targets, you were doing so uh, because you you had a problem with the country of origin or, or the, the religion of origin or ethnicity or what have you, of the people who were coming here. Uh, so people were always reticent to say, oh, I'm not comfortable about these immigration numbers. But now I think you hear from people who are recent immigrants themselves, of course, who say, well, I'm having problems uh, accessing my services. One example I give is the community of Brampton, which has a, a very high uh, volume of new immigrants residing there. And they have a lot of problems with housing pushing up against the urban boundary. They can't build new homes. They're actually uh, lacking a hospital. They're supposed to have a second hospital built. It's not there. And it's very close to Pearson Airport. So a lot of uh, new arrivals to Canada want to live in that community. And they're really feeling the strain. And I think you hear some concerns from those persons. Right. And I think a lot of what goes overlooked is the fact that uh, new immigrants kind of go to certain destinations and these are big metropolitan areas with with high population density so it will definitely impact services and housing. Canada joined two climate coalitions just last week and an economist says one of them will definitely raise prices for consumers. 
In an interview with True North, UBC economist Werner Adweiler said market interventions from the First Movers Coalition will spike production costs in several industries. He said the coalition's mandate to push for more green technology use throughout the economy will be expensive, and companies won't have much of a choice but to pass the cost on to consumers through bigger price tags. As True North reported last week, the First Movers Coalition, which Canada signed on to at the World Economic Forum last week, is a group of top global players that have agreed to steer money away from carbon-intensive production methods and instead direct the money to clean technologies that cannot yet compete at a cost-effective level. Antweiler said, quote, there is no free lunch here. Any new technology that replaces an older fossil fuel technology tends to be more expensive. At the end of the day, switching to cleaner technologies poses a cost that needs to get passed on, essentially, to the final users. Cosman, what I find so interesting and so concerning, I'm writing a column about this, I speak about this a lot in this podcast, and, and everywhere I can, there's an unrelenting series of announcements related to climate measures right now coming from the Liberal government, joining more and more coalitions, bringing more and more regulation. And one of the things they all have in common is that they do make life uh, less affordable for regular Canadians. It seems like there is no break here. Right. We see it time and time again where the government seems to be putting uh, ideological commitments to the green agenda before uh, economic and financial realities, especially at a time when we're seeing record levels of inflation. I mean, we saw it with the recent an announcement uh, to to only sell uh, electric vehicles in Canada. Uh, we saw it with uh, the government's 2020 plan uh, to reduce fertilizer emissions by 30%, which will uh, inevitably cost farmers uh, an input cost and, and, and potentially impact their yields. So I think there's uh, it, this is happening uh, all the time. And, and the government, it doesn't matter how the economy is going. They're, they're refusing to change course. They're refusing to temper um, the, these announcements. So uh, I've always said, you know, reality will eventually uh, uh, slap us in the face if we're committed to ideology, which has no concern for the metrics and, and hard truths uh, of economics. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith says Alberta's relationship with the federal government has reached a crossroads as the government prepares to table its just transition legislation. Smith is proposing a sustainable jobs alternative to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's just transition proposal, which she says would face irrepressible opposition from Alberta. In an open letter, Smith wrote, Alberta and Ottawa can work in partnership on a plan that will signal to all Canadians and investors from around the world that our governments have cooperatively designed a series of incentives and initiatives. Alberta's initiative would seek to accelerate private and public investment in infrastructure that utilizes and develops carbon capture utilization and storage, bitumen beyond combustion, geothermal technology, petrochemicals, hydrogen, lithium, helium, zero emission vehicles, and nuclear technologies. Alberta would also seek to attract a larger skilled workforce to positions in the conventional energy sector and emerging industries, 
as well as increase LNG exports and other responsibly developed oil and natural gas resources to Europe, Asia, and the United States, she said. How do you think uh, Anthony Trudeau is going to respond to this? You know, he's always talked about uh, being willing to work with Western Canada, being willing to work with Alberta. Um, do you think he, he's going to sit down at the table with Danielle Smith uh, on this and change his uh, just transition strategy? I don't think so at all. And it goes back to what we were just saying in the previous segment, that it seems like all they do is bring forward new climate measures. It's almost the single-minded obsession of this government. And you were running the tally of all the different things that applies to and just transition is just yet another example of it. I will say that Daniel Smith has been very smart uh, politically, tactically, and, and probably genuinely to flip it back on Trudeau and say, well, hold on a second. I have an alternative proposal here. She's not just saying, uh, I don't like what you're doing and I want you to stop it. She's saying, let's do this instead. And, and what she's put forward is a very reasonable appeal. Although I don't know if he'll be a taker. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.